Hello Survivors and welcome to Trip to Kane, a Heavy Rain podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 11, wherein we'll be hunkering down to weather the storm of someone's pile of shame selection in our look back at 2010's Heavy Rain. My name is Cyniac, you can just call me Cy, and joining me on the panel this week, press X to Jason, it's fire button Steve Valance. Jason! Press X to Jason, it's Moist Owlet, aka James. Jason! Press X to Jason from Serial Box 64, it's Jordan Subaru. Jason? And press X to Sean from Steamforge Games, it's Sherwin Matthews. Jason! <laughs> the subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only keep us afloat, but also to create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tears begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash FA Spray Pod for the full breakdown. So, shout out at the top of the show, as always, to our contribution this time it's a musical contribution from David Bono. Uh, thank you to him for supplying his piano cover of the track Painful Memories from Heavy Rain. Um, sort of a last minute thing, so very thankful for him for getting back to me as quickly and enthusiastically as he did. Uh, so please listen out for his cover, which will be in this episode to break up our discussion. And Heavy Rain comes to you via the Pile of Shame episodes, as we talked about at the beginning. Uh, it's, this is episode three now of the Pile of Shame series and for those of you who have may missed the earlier ones essentially every member of the first aid spray team has taken a game that they wanted to play at some point or feel like they should have played and either didn't get around to it or didn't quite beat it uh, we put them all in a poll just the game names not who selected them and then the winner of the poll gets an episode uh, and we are going to reveal who picked heavy rain when we get to that point but first of all let's just do a little bit of an introduction on the game itself it took four years to produce Heavy Rain with a legendary 2,000 page script and a cost of over 40 million euros uh, adjusted for inflation and then converted to GBP that's about 39 million pounds in today's money the game was directed by David Cage and produced as a spiritual successor to his previous story focused game Fahrenheit with Shenmue cited as an inspiration for some of the controls Cage wanted to make a motion controller specific for the game but it was financially unviable but the game was released eight months after its initial debut with a Move Edition, which used the PlayStation Move controllers and camera. Uh, the game was released to high praise. Eurogamer and IGN gave it 9 out of 10. Game Informer gave it 9.5 out of 10. GameSpot 8.5, Edge a 7. The Metacritic score for the PS3 original sits at 87 over 100. David Cage predicted between 20,000 and 30,000 sales, but the game reached 1 million in two months and then continued from there. It outsold any Xbox title in Europe during its first 13 weeks in the charts, and it is considered, of course, one of the best-selling games for the PlayStation 3 system. So first question, as always, is what was everybody's first introduction to the game, first time being made aware of it, and have you played it before? What was that experience like and when? Um, I may as well start. This is my first time playing it. It's not my pick for Battle of Shame, but all, equally I'd not played it until now, um, being an Xbox owner for that whole period, the PS3 and Xbox 360 era. Um, I didn't get onto a PS3 until sort of the end of that time, just coincidentally, because my partner had one when I met her. Um, so I just thought, oh cool, now I can play the PlayStation games that I missed, by which I mean the Uncharted games, and I think that's pretty much it. Um, I remember this being a thing when it was announced, 
and it was going to be this huge innovation of graphics and storytelling um but equally i don't remember it particularly grabbing me but there you go i've had my first playthrough now um steve what was your first experience with harry rain have you played it before the podcast um yeah i did so back in the day i had a 360 much like si and eventually you know being an aspiring youtuber i thought i'd branch out and record from new consoles and got a ps3 and at the time i was just you know milling around looking for games and someone recommended it to me because i like the walking dead game by telltale and that, that's literally it. I just got recommended it and went through it. The, the, I, uh, I Obviously, the marketing and stuff, yeah. At the time it released, I hadn't had a PS3, so just kind of like, oh, no, 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 that's cool, I'll get to it when I get to it. And then I experienced the adventure of Ethan Moores and friends. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it wasn't any, like, massive draw other than that. It was just being recommended it and then having a copy thrust into my hands, which is still the copy I played today. They don't want the game back. So, <laughs> Fair I, think, I think I'm underlying message there. <laughs> um, Jordan, what was your first experience with Heavy Rain like? Well, it was a little bit backwards because uh, I would say that my first experience with anything to do with Heavy Rain was uh, the 2006 tech demo uh, known as the casting, which mm. was, it was a short. It was a short demonstration of not only the kind of technology that they were going to be using. Uh, you know, for the games going forward, um, but also sort of the dramatic punch. So, I mean, I, I thought that was a very effective demonstration of performance, um, emotion-driven cinematics. It's it's not necessarily aged uh, as well, but it is 2006, and for 2006, it was it was pretty mind blowing. But it turned out that I'd already played um, a, a Quantic Dream game, or at least part of it, um, and that was Fahrenheit. Uh, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, the the idea of it being sort of a crime thriller was a was a really cool hook. Um, but I just remember putting it down when I got to a point where, you know, there was imaginary bugs and you know one too many sort of trial and error um, instances on uh, like a flashback sequence. And I kind of I just fell out of favor with the game. So it's like I liked the idea of it. I was I was behind and I was invested in the idea of it, but. Um, Besides that, I just couldn't get into it. And it was the same thing when I first played uh, Heavy Rain back in, I think, 2011. And I just couldn't get into those first hours of the game because it's quite slow, quite depressing. Um, and I just kind of put it down. But it's, it's, it's one of those areas of gaming I've always been sort of fascinated by. Mm. Like, I, I want to I enjoy it. I want to understand it. I want to like it. Uh, but I just wasn't getting that. I was having a failure to launch with it. But yeah, that's my that's my experience mm -hmm. prior to this. Uh, James, have you played Heavy Rain before now? Yeah. Um, so I just uh, yeah, I actually played it in 2015 because I was speaking to the lads before this and said 2014. But I know it's 2015 because I bought my PS3 when I bought uh, another one of their games called Beyond Two Souls. Yeah. Um, and that came out in 2015. So uh, yeah, I got it then. I bought an old. PS3 and I start it up and it's very similar um, to Jordan. Like I, I started it up and then I got to a point and then I was like, I, I just, I, I don't know what it was at the time. I just couldn't get into it at that point. And we'll talk more about that later on. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I just put it down after that, and I, I only got it because of Beyond Two Souls, and I actually enjoyed Beyond Two Souls way more um, mm. than I did um, 
than I did Heavy Rain. But yeah, that was my first experience. Interesting. So it seems so far, Steve, you're probably the only person on this panel who finished the game, I'm assuming, finished the game the first time you played it. Um, yeah. It seems like that um, I, it, It's funny, Jordan mentions Fahrenheit. I hadn't actually put the two together in the head. Of course, they are the same developer. And it's like, yeah, that wasn't even a draw at the time. Mm. Um, yeah, so am I thinking if uh, reading the room, I'm, I'm the only person who's beat this game twice. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, uh, that's going to be interesting. Right. <laughs> Um, and Sherwin, you picked this game for Pile of Shame, so I'm intrigued. What what was it about the game that sort of grabbed your interest, um, albeit not enough for you to actually get around to it? Do you know, I, I think, I feel like I almost owe all of you a massive apology on this one. Uh, <laughs> and it's mostly, it's mostly due to my complete lack of understanding of what this beast was when I chose it. Um, Heavy Rain's a game that I've heard a few of my friends talk about over the years about in, in really nondescript ways about how hey yeah we really love playing this game oh it's really really cool kind of oh I was so scared during this moment or I was so you know I I lost a lot of time playing this thing or whatever else and I never knew anything about it whatsoever um, I, I completely missed that's a period of my life where I just wasn't really paying any attention to a lot of video games at the time in terms of what was being released or anything else. So I certainly wasn't caught up in any hype about its release or anything else. And um, what's really interesting is when I chose it, I chose Heavy Rain because I'd heard quite a few people I know talking about how it's a really important game to play and genuinely thought it was a survival horror game because of the visuals. <laughs> mm. uh, so that at, that, at that point, I basically put the two together going, well, what game should you really have played? Well, you should have played Survival Horror Game Show, and you're, you know, it's a Resident Evil podcast. Yeah, that's true. And this one's one that everyone is talking about. So, yeah, I should go Heavy Rain. And having now played The Beast, I understand how woefully incorrect that was. <laughs> uh, simply put, oh, there is a degree of survival horror, but not in the sense that you want to have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to, to, to an extent, there is, there is survival, yeah. literal su survival. So I guess yeah, it kind of works. Yeah, but um, so that that's my experience of it. So I this was my choice and uh, my first experience of playing this game. Uh, it was playing Detroit Become Human, uh, which we'll get onto in time. <laughs> it's so funny that you. I understand now because when I asked everyone for a game, uh, and we got stuff like you know I I put out there Metal Gear Solid. We got Last of Us. This is examples of, of games we've already covered through the series. When you said Heavy Rain, I was like, wow, that's very unexpected but that kind of explains it now um yeah. i think the best place to start coincidentally is with visual design um one of the key selling points was the way that the game looks um i guess it was an advancement in motion capture and stuff at the time as jordan you kind of referenced the casting um, teaser and trailer and sort of the early stuff before we even really saw what the game was um but it's funny showing that you say survival horror because um it, it, this is neither really here or there but it did kind of make me i kind of wanted the game to turn out to be a silent hill game at points <laughs> it, yeah. it kind of looks a bit like it could be a silent hill game you know aesthetically and some of it's you know the dark and depressing story beats about lost children and stuff like that um it, it does have that kind of style to it um but more to the point overall for a game that's now 11 years old uh, i would have to say that um aesthetics in general we're talking about specifically visual i was very impressed with how this held up i played this uh on a, a standard 
a big old fat PS3 as well, I think it is. Um, the original, well, the Move Edition, which might be slightly prettier than the original release, but it's eight months later, so I doubt it's really anything quantifiable. And for a game, yeah, released in 2010, I thought it looked pretty decent. Um, you know, direction-wise, lighting-wise, I had very little issue with the way that it looked. Um, Jordan, what did you think of the, the visual aspect of Heavy Rain? Well, you're, you're right in saying that it, you know, it, it certainly has some uh, impressive facets to it. It's it's a weird one because uh, you can clearly tell that there is something about the visuals that are a product of its extended uh, development cycle. You know, there's a bit of there's a drastic fluctuation in polish. So some some scenes look great. Some scenes you could you know make that into a screenshot and you could sell people on uh, the visuals being maybe one or two years ahead. Of, of when it was actually made. Um, but at the same time, there is uh, just, there's certain scenes where it's almost like the the manner of the lighting or the, the manner of the shaders ends up actually um, making it look worse. Uh, I mean, I mean, one of the uh, sequences that stands out is the, I think it's the first night sequence when you've got Norman Jaden and he's actually going to uh, one of the first crime scenes. Mm. And it looks so much worse than many of the other scenes. But yeah, I, I yeah, I was, I was kind of, I was uh, blown away in certain respects. Kind of going back to this because I was expecting it to look a whole lot more rough, right? Um, and uh, no, it, it, it holds up well. You know, the PS3 was not easy to develop for either. Mm. Uh, and this is a game that had already migrated from one console to another uh, in amidst its de- development cycle. So you're you've got to expect a certain amount of that migration um, has has been to the, the disservice of of the visuals. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, holds up. And obviously the, the characters really come across well. Mm. The, um, it seems to be a PS3 thing, using sort of just floating heads for the loading screens. Because <laughs> MGS4 does it, I think, and stuff like that. Um, but that obviously is probably where it's, the strongest when you get these extreme close-ups of the character designs that's where it looks the best it's it's weird because it, it does look like a product of its time but it holds up a lot better than other games released this year for me um steve what do you think of the visuals it's uh this is a, this is a bit of a mess one for me i i think if it's a main character player character model or someone of like a significant importance mm. they are very well defined and designed i uh, i feel like if it wasn't for the lighting and uh, visual effects, a lot of the environments feel like they could have come out of a PS2 game, just well framed. Mm. Like uh, this is this is a horrible horrible bias. But yeah, you think about uh, you know this came out in 2010, and uh, Resident Evil 5 came out a year earlier. Yeah. And I would argue that the uh, I, I, we're going to get into it, but I'd argue the facial animation, the animations themselves, maybe not so much the environments, were stronger in that. I mean, differences in budget, difference in development team. Um, sure. Not saying it's bad. Not saying it's bad in the slightest in terms of its visual, like you know, identity. Uh, color use is probably my main bugbear for this. is a very brown and miserable game, but it, that is the era this uh, this game was developed in. Yeah, so true. Very much the, very much uh, draped in that level of uh, quote unquote realism. I, I assure you, if you go outside, look outside your window right now, there is more color in that than there is in this game, and you could be <laughs> in the middle of the Antarctic. <laughs> uh, Sherwin, how do you feel about this game visually? So yeah, aforementioned uh, statement earlier about the fact that uh, I thought it was a a survival horror game based on the visuals, and I definitely echo what you're talking about with the Silent Hill connection. Um, mm. 
this game does feel very much like Silent Hill. Uh, the closest approximation I can make is it feels like Silent Hill 4. Um, I think right. it's, it's almost like you're you're wandering around the street. You can see through the windows of Silent <laughs> Hill Four. Um, do you know, for me, this this game arrives from an era. I, I will never. Well, I'll qualify that. To start with. I will never ever look upon a game and kind of on its base on its visuals alone and think, well, this you know, base it on the time. Kind of say the poor, the graphics are really poor on this for any reason or another. Like it's not really. I always understand every game has its context and when it was released and so on. Yeah. So it's always difficult to make any comparison. Um, and if you are exactly as Steve has done, you take it from other games around the same time. But what I will say is that this, for me, is is a time that graphics were very... They're sort of super close to being really, really good, but not quite there yet. And as a result, it's something where it felt very jarring to play. Like, if it was something where it just felt a bit more kind of old school... Um, then it would be fine because my I'm 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 not quite making that connection. Whereas if it had been something that was a fraction more advanced, then at that point it's probably okay. At this point, it just felt something where I played it and kind of kind of looking at characters walking around, and thinking you guys actually look really good. And then as soon as someone starts talking, go and sort of shy away from the screen a bit. Um, <laughs> and that's to do with how the animations work and everything else. Mm. So, but I mean, visually, from what it is, it is a really dreary game. In terms of the visuals of it, um, and from an artistic vision side, I know where they're coming from and the themes they're trying to do. But truthfully, I think there's a lot better ways to achieve that than simply just putting a sepia wash over everything. Mm. Uh, I, was, I was just going to jump in and uh, say now. Obviously, uh, people may or may not know that uh, earlier in the development, uh, it was intended to be additional themes. Maybe psych- more further psychological themes, or even supernatural themes. Mm. Uh, you know, sequences that probably would be more fitting of Silent Hill. So it's interesting that you you, you both pick up on that. Um, and uh, I wonder, since those uh, elements were kind of abandoned uh, quite late into development, whether or not uh, mm. the the footprint left across the rest of the game kind of reflects that. Because yeah, it is it is very dreary, but. If it was intended to be more uh, psychological or supernatural, uh, then that would at least be able to kind of prop it up. Yeah, yeah. That's quite interesting, actually. I had no idea. Um, James, what do you think of the visual design? Um, For 2010, the game, in my opinion, looked standard. Um, You had Alan Wake come out that year as well, which was also a pretty good-looking game. and In my opinion, it looked better than this game did even though that game was dark. Um, everyone's face in... Other than the loading screens, which look fantastic, um, everyone's face looked like the surface of like a porcelain vase. They, especially when like a, like light hit their face, there would just be like this strange texture to their face. But, I mean, that's... I, I just want to say as well, I know nothing about game design. I super respect anybody who can do that. It's just, I just, yeah, I, there's the, there's the color and the filter of this game as well. Like I still, even though there was the first scene with Ethan and his family and stuff, like I still didn't feel like from looking at everybody, like that they were a family, Mm. like visually. Like it was, it was broken, um, and that was due to animations. 
Um, the environment was super cool. Like, I love that house. Like, mm. I'd love to have that house. That was amazing. Um, but yeah, and then like we're transported to this really dreary house, um, which we'll go into more later with the story, but we're not really explained why that happened. Um, like, I'll get more into that later on. But yeah, I visually, the game looks good for 2010. Like, but at the same time, like as uh, Sherwin said, at, at the same time, there were a whole bunch of games that came out in 2010 to 2012 who were, that, that were doing this. And you could compare them pretty, you know, pretty accurately with each other because mm -hmm. they all look very similar. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I, I wasn't blown away by it. And I played it, I, I mean, I did play in 2015. You know, we had some pretty baller games that came out that year so i might have been swayed <laughs> by that as well mm. um but and and the following years but um yeah i wasn't blown away by the visuals of it like a lot of other folks were um but that might have been biased fair enough i mean it's all opinion at the end of the day i do have high opinion on the other side of the aesthetic coin um particularly the music um before we get into voice performance, um, I thought the music was really, really good, actually. Um, Heavy Rain is quite a short game, and there's, re again, it's reasons that we'll probably talk about later, that it sort of works in its favour, that it's 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 not a overtly long experience. Uh, and I've only played it once, but there are pieces of music that have stuck with me you know they're in my head now it's i haven't forgotten it all it hasn't it didn't just wash over me there are melodies and stuff that i can instantly think of when i if i were to pick that box back up and look at that cover they're in my head so that's you know that's really good um and most importantly for for me and these are the kind of things that i always love to point out is just i love how each of the four main characters have completely different musical styles um in their scenes ethan is sort of solo piano led um norman has this full orchestra uh madison has a much smaller sort of chamber orchestra style um and scott has the sort of classic detective lots of sort of like brass um i really yeah i really like that and hearing the different you know there are, there are melodies that sort of sprinkle throughout all in these different styles um yeah very impressed uh, apparently this isn't the first time that this composer has worked with David Cage. I don't know if they did anything after necessarily, but I it's one of those things where <laughs> I'd almost be curious to just sort of listen to some of their other compositions. I don't necessarily like listening to game soundtracks without having played the game first, uh, but I'd be kind of curious to see uh, the level of quality of, of, of other stuff they've done. Um, but James, how did you feel about the music? Uh, yeah, actually, I agree with you. Like The music's... It definitely had an identity. Yes. With each yeah. character that came on, like, uh, and like the use of the music during scenes was super well done as well. Um, yeah, I really, yeah, really loved the the music of the of 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 the um, of the game. It was super super, like it it fit, it fit very well mm. with each, each character. Um, yeah, and even like the kind of the, the game sounds as well. Like the game sounds are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> I think the only time that I kind of it was it was a really badass moment um, before we really got the end, true ending with Shelby. But like <laughs> when I first heard the gun he shot off, I was like, eh, 
Um, but yeah, music, awesome. Uh, very well done. Um, who was the person who did that? Do you know? Um, I Norman Corbale. Thank you. Okay, oh. thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, did a fantastic job. Right. Like for me, I think it's the strongest point of the game, to be honest. Is the is the music? Mm. It's it's definitely up there for me as well. Jordan, how do you feel about the music? Well, I agree with everything uh, you both said. It, it, it is uh, a very nice, well put together soundtrack. I think uh, you know, perhaps with a, a changing nature of the game, it could have used a, a, an extra sort of uh, dimension, perhaps a few more lighter, more hopeful themes for relief. Because uh, we'll. we'll reiterate this many times over throughout the podcast it is a depressing game there's <laughs> there's a lot of dreariness and um the sound the soundtrack definitely adds to that kind of emotional punch um obviously what the composer does he does very well and um it's very it's very effective but uh you you definitely feel like you could have had a bit of relief sometimes i know that not all of the tracks i don't believe that all of the tracks were uh originally composed for the game there's oh, right and it's there's an instance where if if you, if you have the fight with uh, Mad Jack uh, as Norman Jaden, there's a there's a piece of music used in that that I was like, hold on a second, I've heard this somewhere before, and I'm I'm pretty sure it is a piece of like licensed music that <laughs> you know could just generally be picked out by any studio to to use. But it's mm. like for if you go listen back to that, you, you might have heard it from you know a cartoon or a show or an advert at some point um so that was that was kind of interesting but the soundtrack overall is really good and i think as well uh it's a bit it's a big credit to the production that it manages to work so seamlessly you know from a technical standpoint you know it's not necessarily talked about a whole lot but obviously producing a soundtrack for a video game can be quite difficult because depending on the nature of the game you have to make it uh dynamic and it needs to respond to the actions of the player at a, at a moment's notice. And this does it really well. I never felt like uh, the soundtrack had to stall if I was taking too long on one segment. It always felt like it yes, was... Yes, that's a good point. Perfectly paced. Mm. Uh, Steve, thoughts on the soundtrack? I um, generally enjoyed it, but it felt more like backing stuff to me. Like uh, Outside of like playing the game... It, it's uh, very more emotionally evocative, but when I was investing in the game, it kind of all blended together, with the exception of like the uh, the painful memories theme, you know, that soft little piano ditty. Mm. Um, not not a criticism, but the, you know, the the score in itself always reminds me reminds me of like um, you know your Nolan Batman films and stuff. Uh, mm. Very very um, when it's being author yeah, when it's being authoritative or when it's, when it's being like you know subtle. Mm. So yeah, it's it's fine. Not not really something I'd go out and seek. I, I get that everyone else is taken away with it. I would say it's definitely one of the stronger parts of the game's aspects. Except while playing it again, for me personally, kind of all blended into the mix. That perhaps might have been the way, the nature of the way I was playing the game. So. Fair enough. Um, and Sherwin, how do you feel about the music? And also, I'll let you move on to the voice acting. I'll let you have first dibs on on that as well. Okay. Uh, no, I, I echo exactly what you're saying about the uh, the soundtrack. I can't fault it. It works very, very well. Um, in most cases, it's yeah, it's it's interesting how much I think the mark of a the mark of a good soundtrack 
um, is always that it just feels part of any particular scene, especially in a game like this where it kind of is the whole thing is you're kind of looking, you're, you're kind of viewing the entire experience as something where everything sort of has its part and nothing, one, no one thing stands out and is really jarringly different to the rest. Um, and I think this works exceptionally well. You don't ever listen to the soundtrack and go, that was lackluster or that didn't really feel like it was well suited or whatever else. It all kind of, it all builds in, whether that be the sound effects, the you know any sort of uh, actual music or whatever else that comes in. It all feels really well done. Um, and and that's fine. Like it's not Resident Evil levels are good, but that's good because <laughs> that's something else entirely. Um, but it's that's, good. That's it's a better game. It, I, I'm not going <laughs> to argue. I'm not going to argue with you, and I don't think I could on this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> even if I wanted to, but um, but yeah. So no, it's not as good as Resident Evil Gaiden, but it is still pretty good. <laughs> um, but no, so. But in terms of the voice acting, so I think the voice acting is very hit and miss. Yeah, um, is the honest answer to it. Some of the some of the voice acting is again it, it's spot on for what it needs to be. There's nothing that sounds exceptional in terms of someone is overacting anything. It doesn't sound like anybody is is really doing anything. What I think is the biggest problem with a lot of the voice acting that is in there. I imagine is some probably fairly talented actors working with a script that isn't oftentimes quite wooden mm. uh, or doesn't necessarily like the, what, what I get is that it's not so much a sense that you have actors who are kind of um, Resident Evil one bad voice acting as in we've never even introduced, discovered a microphone before. Uh, what does this do? It's more so much. I can imagine some very weary people having done, you know, on take 200 of doing the same lines over and over and just mm. delivering them, and then that kind of happening. Like some some of the some of the dialogue from some of the main characters is really poor, but then by comparison, a lot of the dialogue from kind of secondary or even tertiary characters who are just in the background or have very small roles um, actually is really spot on. Is really really solid. So I think it's possibly over polish and uh, over yeah. over direction. I suspect is probably the answer. It's funny that you say that because um, I have very similar thoughts um i would i don't even know if it, i guess it does have some highs um sam douglas who plays scott is probably the most he's probably the only actor from it um with any success outside of this game who's already established as an actor and continued to be successful um he's the high point everyone else for me was kind of mixed to poor really um there was no overacting but what it does have is so this i guess this game was made in france i guess that's where the studio is based out of um so it's a lot of actors doing american accents and most of the time it's fine you don't really notice on on some characters it's totally plausible like uh blake and stuff like that you know it's it's not too bad Jaden, not too bad and then occasionally you can almost hear uh, the voice director demanding that they go from Midwestern America to the thickest of Queen's accents anytime anybody has to say origami killer because they'll just be <laughs> talking in a normal American accent and suddenly they have to go origami like, and it, it's so distracting and several characters do it and it's it's not a part of their natural accent it's so distracting I just I heard it, it hard origami said in so many different ways that right. I even forgot how to say it <laughs> It's so distracting. <laughs> but, 
but I got but I gotta pull you back on one thing because Norman Jaden's accent wasn't wasn't bad. Norman <laughs> Jaden, Norman <laughs> I kind of find the it. FBI. He's I. Yeah, he's the, playing an FBI agent, so I kind of the, expected that. I guess like a dumb cop. Yeah. Accent. The, well, I, I I did hear that the uh, the actor who portrayed him, uh, Leon Ockenden, he, he he basically he like just watched The Departed. So <laughs> yeah, just, that makes sense. He just wanted to channel that. He wanted to channel Marky Mark and, and mm. everyone else from that film. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it comes off as awkward. Yeah, I think I think to be honest, there's there's always something where you need to channel and need to work to your strengths, right? If you have a bunch of French voice actors, set the thing in France. Kind of, yeah. If you have a bunch yeah. of American voice actors, set the thing in America. Mm-hmm. Like one or two gifted individuals who can do accents outside of their range, you know, like John Luc Picard's exceptional French accent in Next Generation, for example. You know, or Sean Connery and in, in his Russian accent in Hunter <laughs> October. If you could do you know, some some of that stuff, were, or and obviously the classic of Tom Cruise in whatever the Valkyrie movie was, where his German accent is incredible. But um, outside of that, you, yeah, you can have one or two of those. But when you get to the point where it just sounds forced and weird, um, I think that's a point where in a game that's designed to be completely immersive and really make you feel like you are there watching mm-hmm. this movie playing through this thing, it just drags you straight back out again. Exactly that. Uh, yeah, that happened to me. In this game, yeah, it happened to me multiple times. The worst one is um, in one of the flashback sequences near the end of the game. There's a child who just doesn't. They didn't even try to make them do an American accent. They have this really uh, thick European accent, and it's it's so distracting, especially because they grow up to have an American accent. But never mind. Uh, Jordan, any more thoughts on the voice acting? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's. It's a strange one, really, because I, I feel like this game is a is a prime example of uh, David Cage, who is um, obviously very am- ambitious as a as a game director. He is he is clearly very inspired by films, and he wants to transplant as much of that into gaming as possible. Well, through his games, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but this definitely feels like him stretching beyond his bounds. Uh, you know, before he has the sort of almost the privilege to to go to those bounds, um, because you, you know he'd made he'd made Fahrenheit, he'd made games before that as well, but made Fahrenheit, and that was that was all right, that was a success. Obviously, Heavy Rain ended up being a, a massive success, and it's been able to uh, you know fuel that vision that he has for interactive drama um, going forward. But this was there's a lot of teething issues. There's you hear about the way that production worked. Uh, you know, originally actors were told maybe about 15 days work and it ended up being a couple years work and they'd just mm. be going back and forth between uh, the, you know, the UK or the US you know, to the studio in Paris. Um, and, and also the way that they actually managed to do the performance because it was in three stages. So they would do, they'd do the facial capture with all the dots on the faces. So they would perform all their lines that way. Then they do it again um, in a in a studio, um, and that that's when they all do the body capture. They'll have audio feedback of their facial capture, um, and they perform to that. So that's mm-hmm. their cue basically to perform. Uh, in both of these sequences, typically the actors didn't actually have any other co-stars on set. It would be stand-ins oh. or it would be David Cage himself. 
Um, and then finally, they go into the sound booth to do the final voiceover, which is then, that is done to the body capture. So each segment informs the next. Mm. And, uh, and then they take that, they combine that, and then they composite it with the other performances by the other actors. So essentially, you've got them performing it three different ways and then putting that all together and then combining it with the performances of other actors who weren't even there. And I think that is, I think that's probably even worse than the sort of issue with the casting of having a lot of non-Americans playing Americans. Because if they're not performing together, then you just don't have that chemistry. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much that has changed for Quantic Dream. I imagine a lot, because obviously games around this time, uh, like Uncharted, they were typically doing the performance in the mocap studio all at once. Mm. Um, and what's more, they had the actors actually interacting with each other. So yes, there was actually less to make in the Uncharted games, but the chemistry worked a whole lot better because the actors were all on set. And that just wasn't the case here. I had no idea. That actually, yeah. I mean, that kind of does explain a fair amount of character interaction in this game. I can say that much, definitely. Um, Steve, what do you think of the voice acting? Uh, it's okay. Uh, like, like everyone else has said, it's a strange mishmash of quality and some people, most of the child actors, not nailing the uh, the accents they are targeting. <laughs> I, uh, I want to put it down mostly to vocal direction, though, because, I mean... It, it, with the right voice coach, I'm sure you can iron out a lot of these issues. Um, it's strange, though, because, like, I, the line deliveries, it always feels like that's your best take. Or, <laughs> yeah, in some cases, like, I've heard that voice already three times for two different characters in the case of, like, uh, Mad Jack, Paco, and the, the fellow who runs the convenience store. Uh, like... So reusing voice actors that sometimes, like in Paco's case, can be literally from Jaden's point of view, going from Mad Jack to Paco. You know, I, it's peculiar for me, like because obviously I get an ear for these kind of voices and things as it is. Mm. So yeah, I, serviceable for the era, uh, but you know, a, a solid D. Fair. <laughs> um, James, thoughts on the voice acting? Yeah, the uh, the voice acting in this game is as dull as the environment. <laughs> um, it's flat, and yeah, like hearing Jordan say that, it makes sense because it sounds like you know one person says "Hey," then the other person waits ten seconds. <laughs> hey, you know, it's like it's it sounds it sounds. It sounds like there's quality there, but it, it, it's just that there isn't... Yeah, like Steve said as well, like the direction is bad, mm. right? Because, like, Shelby is so good. Like, yeah. I actually really like his voice actor, and I, I really like his direction, and he's the only character, I think, other than maybe... Um, is it Miranda? Madison. Um, Madison. Madison, yeah. Other than Madison, um, who I liked a little bit, but, mm. like, Shelby just was just the best character in the game in terms mm. of voice direction. Right. But everybody else is just flat and I couldn't just just like kind of the story, um, which we'll get on later on, like I couldn't follow I couldn't get invested in these characters because they just didn't feel like they felt like caricatures mm. of that character. Not real. I couldn't be immersed. And you know how important that is for me. Like Absolutely. I, I just 
I couldn't, and it's for a lot of people, I just couldn't get immersed in that story. Every time someone would talk it, I'd go to another scene. I was like, if I'd see it, it would be a particular person. Oh, there's one other person I want to talk about. But every time I see a particular person, such as Ethan, right, I'm like, oh, uh. you know, and he's like in a lot of the, in the he's, he, I mean, he's the main character, well, one of the main characters. So I was like, oh, he's here again. All right, I'm going to have to get bored for the next like 20, 25 minutes listening to him. <laughs> You know, be yeah. sad because, uh, and the, you know, just content warning. I'm going to have to listen to him sad because his kid died. You know, and you know, oh, his kid and his other kids gone missing. I, I should feel sad about that. I should feel upset about that, but mm. I did not. Mm. Right, because he just sounds so flat. Um, but another person who I think needs a little shout out as well um, is uh, is it Blake, Detective Blake? Yeah. Um, like, he, yeah, he went overzealous, but like he was probably other than Shelby the only other person that had emotion Fair like point. that you could feel yeah uh, in this game uh but yeah I think I'll leave it there because I'll, I'll keep going on that's fair you've brought us nicely to sort of the the meat of this one you know it was it's important important always to talk about visuals and audios for games um none more so than heavy rain but the the real the real meal of this podcast is definitely the story. So we have, uh, I think, appropriately arrived at that point um, to give the briefest of overviews. And again, as with any of these podcasts, we are going to touch on spoilers. Um, so if you haven't played the game and you're interested, you probably should do that. Uh, but, you know, otherwise, just roll right with us. Um, the setup is um, the... <laughs> There's four characters and they are essentially all looking to solve the same revelation of the origami killer a serial killer who um seems to be kidnapping uh, young boys who, whose bodies turn up um, a certain amount of time later um, dead and appearing to be drowned with a flower on their chest and, and this kind of thing um the out of the four lead characters the one that you start off with and arguably i suppose the the main one of the four is ethan a father who uh, famously via the memes loses his son Jason in a shopping mall um, who then unfortunately dies in a traffic accident immediately outside of the shopping mall um, and then I guess I think it's two years after that um, his other son Sean also goes missing and is presumed kidnapped by this serial killer and that's where it rolls from here um, for me I really it, I went through like sort of peaks and troughs of my interest. I, I really wasn't sure on this, but after the the press X to Jason and press X to Sean scenes were over, that's when things started to have a little bit of intrigue. It's when the story started to roll. You know, all these four characters that were not connected necessarily working towards the same thing, and eventually stories sort of starting to overlap. But it's funny that you said that, James, because I had absolutely the same reaction anytime Ether's big giant face appeared on my screen denoting that he was the next character I was going to play as I went oh, here we go back to yeah. Mo back to Mopesville and I should have cared I should of course I should have cared he should be the most sympathetic story of the lot but I, I just I was not that bothered out of all of them I was I was interested-ish in Norman and I was pretty interested in Scott you know I, his story has some some sort of like LA noir almost to it which would obviously come out like a year later but sort of that was being that this is kind of a detective story, him playing the private detective and the private eye, that that's where I was like, oh, okay, you know, this is this is quite intriguing. Um, 
Sherwin, how did you feel about... Let's not necessarily touch on sort of like the endings and the reveals, but the story at large for Heavy Rain. Um, I liked uh, the French version of Saw. I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> um, no, I, I... Do you know, I, I really... I was very spoiled, I think, with a large part of this game. I, I'm not sure. I, I guess we'll talk about gameplay, such as it is, right, later yeah. on. So I'll, I'll kind of, I won't, I won't dry, dive into too much of it now. Uh, I'll, I'll wait for that section. But honestly, I, I think the biggest, the biggest problem I had with this, and the same as what you guys have said, is engagement. Mm. Um, and I don't mean to be so negative because I appreciate this is a game very much pushing the boundaries, and I really like that. Yeah, some some well, I really appreciate that sometimes games try to do that and they swing and they miss and then something comes along later uh, that kind of really you know encapsulates right. that much better. I, I don't know. There's a lot of games out there that could exist if it wasn't for Heavy Rain, for example. Um, but I think the biggest problem I've got with a lot of the story elements of this is that it's so cliche. Um, mm. It's it's really cliche in a lot of ways, and it it deals with quite difficult subjects um in in only really the most basic surface level understandings mm. of what it is like each one of these characters yeah you know, each one of these characters doesn't really feel like they are a character that could exist they just feel like they are somebody who's turned up to deliver their wooden lines that you know because that's the that's very much a typecast thing this person is the angry mother whose child has died bang there you go this person mm. is the, this person is the angry detective in you know detective bang this person is like the police chief who like turns up to kind of you know chat to the protagonist for a bit um i think that's the biggest part of this it, it doesn't really feel like there's any depth or these could actually be characters or there's anything beyond those surface level interactions you have with any of them and i think that comes through in the dialogue and and combine that with kind of the very dreary kind of uh, visuals makes this really hard going at times um, to go through, mm. as well as the disjointed nature of how a lot of the story elements rolled into each other. Um, like the amount of times where you find yourself just sitting there going, oh, well, so here's another one where someone's investigated something and turned up somewhere. Let's see what happens next. Mm. It's kind of a lot of that stuff tends to really roll in. I'm not so sure that's it really flows very well. I guess is the way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that the engagement is there as a result of that. So, but in terms of the actual main story arc and so on, again, it, I mean, I, I kind of said Saw. It yeah. feels a little bit like Saw was released the, that weekend and someone went away and wrote this after watching that movie uh, yeah. or large parts of it. Um, it. It's I'm not sure... I couldn't work out for a long while while I was playing this whether it's because I genuinely don't really enjoy the the type of genre that this normally fits into uh, very much. And then ultimately came out of it thinking the reason I didn't engage with it is not because of the actual story or the actual um, the genre. It's because of the actual yeah the interactions I have as a player. They mm-hmm. just they just feel completely like um, dehumanized. Yeah, so. that's fair. Um... It's funny because you're talking about taking a swing and missing potentially and, and something coming later to pick up the ball. <laughs> Not to bring it back up again, but on our uh, kind of recent episode about the original Resident Evil, we talked a lot about Alone in the Dark. 
<laughs> and I don't want to dwell on it because we talked about it quite a lot. But it's almost kind of like that, where it's like, um, that's the that's the swing and the miss. And Resident Evil went, oh yeah, okay, we can do something way way bigger and better than that. Um, it's kind of like that. But also speaking of Alone in the Dark and of Saw, one thing I do like, I guess this is a David Cage thing. As previously mentioned, he he does love his film. Um, in in the very Saw scene where Ethan has to take one of his fingers off, there is literally a saw on the floor. Um, so it's obvious, like I mean, if, you know, if the if it wasn't obvious enough, here's a big old flashing light. But I don't, you know, the other references to film and, and video games in there, I actually kind of liked. I don't, I really like when um, directors and stuff kind of wear their influences on their sleeve, as long as they're not just directly copying something, but making a street. Uh, Carnaby Street as a reference to Alone in the Dark was nice. At the end, there's a Blade Runner reference with, I think, it's like Deckard Books or Deckard Publishing or something. Stuff like that. I thought, I thought it's not really part of the story, but I like little nods like that. Um, Steve, what did you think of the story overall? Oh, God. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, I have the privilege of playing through this game twice. So I've suffered from what we might call the Fight Club effect where, you know, you, you now know that all the reveals, so it's a bit weird. Mm. As a result, I went about undermining the plans, or trying to, of uh, certain characters to see if I could stretch the thing. <laughs> we get there when we get there. Uh, and the, the game is so on rails that like, you wouldn't believe. You can't steer the train that much except for the fates of two characters initially. Mm. Um, regarding the, the general thing, everyone keeps saying Saw, I keep seeing Seven. I keep seeing yeah, Seven yeah, I see if that. Uber Ball had the money of Hideo Kojima. <laughs> you know, uh, like, that, that's, that's what I see. Um, and uh, fair, fair play, I have played, like, what, this is the, this of the three David Cage games I've played, this is easily the, the worst. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not, like, pulling any punches here, but... Yeah. Ethan is, like, a cardboard cutout of Sad Dad... Uh, you know, like easily the worst character named Ethan we've ever discussed on the podcast, bar none. You know, <laughs> Ethan Winters says the word uh, swear words a lot and other things, but apparently has a lot more character than Mr. Winters, despite the fact, uh, sorry, Mr. Mars, despite the fact that Mr. Mars has literally lost one child and is in the process of losing another. I, okay. Uh, Madison. Madison is treated like some kind of weird mishmash of a deus ex machina and a sex object, and it kind of makes me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I didn't even I didn't even understand her entry point into the game for a long time. I couldn't work out if she just sort of turns up, and I kind of found myself going, "Right, what what's your what's your hook? Why are you here?" Yeah, like, you know, I had the same reaction. Like, like are you are you a private detective? Are you somebody who actually is working for the FBI instead of weird glasses guy, which we must get onto at some point? Are we, you know, what's what what's 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 your entry point? Um, you know, how do you fit as a character? And then you just discover, oh no, this is just female character who just decided that she's taking a real interest in Ethan for no apparent reason other than this really flimsy insomnia. Um, well. If you pursue the romantic relationship, because I wanted to do the cliche, she does reveal she's a journalist who's been like studying the case. Mm-hmm. Which is a little too late at that point. Yeah, it's the eleventh hour at this point, and it's she literally. This is going to sound so cool because she's literally the only uh, female playable character in the game, 
and at the time was some kind of icon for it. And I, I can't see why. She feels like she's literally just there to be abused, beaten up, or yelled at, or to deus ex machina a scene. And it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, yes. Um, I completely agree with that. I, I, I was going to sort of save my character takes for later, but while we're on the subject of Madison, I think she is like the most grey dishwater human being uh, imaginable. She, mm. Her first scene comes out of nowhere, makes no sense, leaves you with loads of questions that never get answered. As you mentioned, she does get revealed as a journalist later, but you, by that point you've had hours of her just playing nurse to, to Ethan, which is not a great look for your only female character. But yes, of course, yeah. uh, she can also have an obligatory shower scene, uh, complete just like... <laughs> It's all strange, like not nightmare sequence that has no point in the actual narrative. Yes, like she is needlessly exploited. It's just, it's so oh god, it's so awful. Even her walk cycle is like needlessly exploitative. It's so bizarre. Uh, yeah, I hated her so much. Anyway, Steve, sorry, please carry on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, can, can I add, can I add on to that? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna be a little bit controversial here, but they didn't treat female characters very well at all in this game. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, just quickly, the wife in this game of Ethan is a complete tosser. Like, she's not nice. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's no reason for it. Like, she just isn't. Yeah, she's right. like, oh, why could you, how could you let this happen? Blah, 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 blah. But it's not, it's not I mean, yeah, there's that. But that's it, just right at the beginning. She's just not a nice person, Ethan. <laughs> Yelling at you about like, plates. No I mean, I mean to be honest, you know, I also wouldn't be very nice to Ethan if he just spoke to me like that, like all the time, you know. But, but to be honest, I also wouldn't. He also wouldn't be my husband. In, 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 in defense of Ethan, it can't be easy being that wooden. <laughs> I, I think. I think that poor Ethan. Well, poor Ethan. No, I should say his wife is the poor one here. Like right at the start of the game, we're introduced to the point where they she arrives home and says, "Hey." All these kids, all this, all our kids' friends are coming over. I've got literally so much to do. Can you please help me? Kids are outside playing in the garden, so they'll be fine. He goes, "No worries. I'll spend ten minutes putting out plates, and then just go play with the kids in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> Walk off and leave you to try and do everything." It really is bad husbandry at that point. It's, it's funny you mentioned Grace though, because I mean, she has like one line of pivotal dialogue to the plot after when it starts, and it pretty much rockets the police in one direction they won't let go of. Um, that's her entire purpose for being mm. very utilitarian, one might say. Mm. Um, regarding the other characters, I think Scott stand out as the uh, you know the massive reveals uh, of the story revolves on. I think we'll try and hinge on that for two minutes. Uh, and Nam and Jaden of the FBI, uh, despite feeling almost as superfluous as Madison, has probably the most appeal for Steve because one they're a crackhead dealing with trying to be a police officer <laughs> and it's just funny and uh, you know uh, I think it was a zero punctuation that was on heavy rain describing him as if you take it as every time he has a trip he's tr somehow alters the future it somehow makes him work so much more interesting as a character as a time traveler <laughs> who's breaking his brain to solve the case uh, I would happily play a game with just him as the main character everyone else could go jog uh <laughs> <laughs> Which is strange because they, they literally have like almost no threatening presence, and they have to do the most like dangerous work of the entire game. Mm. <laughs> um, James, how do you feel about the story overall? Don't like it, Sai. Okay, 
No. <laughs> done. So, that's it. Just leave it there. Move on. Uh, yeah, I uh, no. It's it's very. It's you know what in the in the gaming community we would call cookie cutter, mm-hmm. right? It's meta, like, and you know, and it, it's kind of it's you know that um, you know that meme of how multiple choice. Uh, video games are actually not multiple choice. They're just like here's three decisions, and they just go to one decision, and then three decisions again, and it's always this one same um, decision. I always felt that way, other than some character deaths, which, to be honest, I didn't care about the story, so it didn't really have any. We'll talk about it more later, but it didn't really have any consequence for me. I didn't care because mm. um, I didn't care about the story. Um, and you know, I should have cared a little bit more about Shelby's story, but I just didn't because it wasn't told well. Um, and yeah, like uh, someone mentioned earlier on about s- a lot of this, it just felt disjointed and just yeah, uh, Sherwin, you were talking about um, sorry, what was the name again? Madison. <laughs> Madison. <laughs> um, this is gonna happen a lot, okay? Um, yeah, Madison just like pop here she is. Like this was just happening a lot, and you just get teleported around. Like there's a bit towards the end where like she <laughs> I laughed out loud when this happened. She's in a fridge. And then oh <laughs> the place blows up and suddenly she's outside. She's the ha- the, the, the the fridge has given birth to her um, <laughs> outside the building. <laughs> and yeah, I just like, how did this happen? And there's it's like a lot of instances like right in the beginning, right? <laughs> um what's Grace, yeah, Grace, uh, mm. the wife, she says to Ethan, go upstairs, go see what Sean's doing. Is Sean or Jason, I'm not sure at this point. And he's like, Merlin died. And you're like, Merlin? Who's the bird? The bird, Merlin's died. And you're like, you, I killed Merlin. And Ethan's like, you didn't so-and-so something, something philosophical line, you mm. know? And I was like, but what did we learn from that scene? Mm-hmm. And how did it happen? Right, what actually happened to the bird? <laughs> you what didn't ask. Learned, James, what we learned, James, is that Ethan's children are just as wooden as he is. <laughs> so was that bird, apparently. Mm. Um, <laughs> the bird is the best actor of the entire game. Okay, Played dead superbly. Um, <laughs> can, I, can I just jump in for Go one for second? It. Did it, how... Um, how uh, much did it take you out when you had to be a good dad at the park before all stuff kicks down? Because the the nature of, you know, young Sean Mars' emotional range is terrifying. He can go from being hating his dad and thinks he's the worst person ever to the child who is happiest and most content in life on a dime. <laughs> I, uh, it's weird watching the child go into emote mode and then off again and then back again. <laughs> it's also, like an episode of Black Mirror or something. Yeah. <laughs> also, have you guys ever used a boomerang? Did you see the size of that park? Yeah, yeah, there's no way that that went well the first time as someone who has used a boomerang. That that no way that happened. The kids pulled yeah. it off straight away as well. No, no. Yeah, that, that's that's killing kids on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's a whole other story that would have made it way more interesting uh, Jordan how did you feel about the story then oh, you're all going to make me defend this story <laughs> far more than <laughs> I ever if you planned want. to uh, far more than I ever planned to but um, I, I mean, I, mean I, I think it's important to sort of understand a certain context of the 
production um, that so much was cut. Um, obviously, there there is a lot of plot holes with regard. Well, not sort of plot holes, but more sort of absences mm. of character motivations or, or backstory, and that is in part because uh, they either cut the content um, with the intention of releasing it as DLC afterwards, or I don't know, maybe other stuff just ended up on the cutting room floor with no other reason or intention of of releasing it or bringing it back. But I think there's... It's it's weird, because I I feel that there's fragments of a story here that can work. Um, While I, I understand that, like... Uh, Ethan's wife, you know, comes off as, uh, you know, erratic and uh, just generally um, not very sympathetic. At the same time, I I also understand the dynamic that, uh, you know, shared grief over the loss of a child can seriously damage relationships. Um, And I've seen seen plenty of great shows that kind of explore that. Killing is a a great show for that, but it's... It's obviously it's limited by how long the story is, so you don't get to explore that whatsoever. There's a lot of things that happen to uh, you know, Ethan Mars in between uh, the accident and when we then pick it back up. Um, you know, when he when he's with uh, Sean at his at his new house, he's been in a coma for a period of time. He's moved, uh, presumably he's lost his job, and obviously he's estranged from his wife. Um, and what's more, one of the biggest uh, sequences that would give insight into a lot of Ethan's character throughout this game was completely scrapped. He's he's meant to have uh, a more psychological right, uh, yeah. side to his game. Uh, originally, the plan was that he was going to have some kind of uh, mind link with Scott Shelby, uh, where when Shelby would commit his crimes um, it would actually cause the blackouts that Ethan has which then lead to him having whole sequences uh, which he wakes up um, with a new origami piece in his hand Now, Can I just say that this this whole plot line that has been axed right, Mm. is a major bugbear for me because I feel like it would have helped the story move along a lot better for at least Ethan because yeah, as Jordan's going to go on to like those scenes right now feel like they're just cutting room bits Mm-hmm. Yeah, but absolutely, those pieces play into his his guilt and his paranoia. You know, the fact of the matter is that he thinks he's the killer, and I don't know about you guys, but I never thought he was the killer. Um, it, it, it seemed kind of outlandish to think that um, that he was capable of that. Mm. But we haven't went through the same experience that the character did. And because that's not shown to us or conveyed in any kind of way, we just can't understand that. And it comes off as just a gaping hole in the story. So there's problems like that. Uh, yeah, Madison Page, I, f- I fully agree that uh, in the actual game, she doesn't come across well at all because she just sort of shows up. Um, you know, she has that you know traumatic nightmare. And then for whatever reason, she's... Uh, crossing paths with all of the other characters, and she's very, um, she's very invested in trying to figure out this case. And we don't necessarily have that inciting incident that properly brings her into it. Mm. I mean, the original plan for her character was that, you know, she, she was a, a war correspondent, 
and that's you know where her night terrors come from hmm. um so again it's it's a lot of missing context so in part i'm defending the game for well this is the reason why it comes off so uh you know janky and you know holes all over it like swiss cheese but at the same time uh, yes i completely understand that it, it can't be enjoyed if you don't understand why people are doing things mm -hmm. um i mean as far as sort of the the pace of the game uh obviously the the first time i tried to play it, I, I gave up just because it's very slow in the beginning and and yeah every scene that goes back to ethan seems to be more increasingly depressing you know I mean uh, that whole sequence where you've got to you, you've got to basically do the routine for Sean, you know, make sure he's at by a certain time, make sure he's in bed by a certain time, and if you mess that up, the next scene that you have with Ethan, they're guilting you about it. Oh, the teacher yelled at him because he, you know, he showed up late or mm -hmm. you know was falling asleep in class or something like that. Yeah, it's just like man, it's like these these are the kind of consequences that are not fun in the game. Um, they just really kind of bring you down. It's but like I would say bad that the version of Sims. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, the 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 plot does feel like it picks up a pace by I think the second trial. Uh, once you're at that stage, I felt like just about every scene had something to it that was pushing things on. And at that point as well, you were getting a pretty decent rotation of the characters, so it never felt like you were in one place for too long. Um, but yeah, there's there's holes all over the place. Um, some for understandable reasons, some for not understandable reasons. There's not a lot of depth to the to the characters. I think even if David Cage had been given, uh, you know, a greater budget or more time and to to make it, you know, a 15 or 20 hour game on a, on a typical run, uh, he still wouldn't necessarily be able to effectively explore all of the subject matter that he wants to, because as you guys say, it's it's very heavy subject matter, and uh, tackling even one of them uh, mm. would be a a big undertaking in, in a video game um but to tackle many of them at the same time it's tough um i mean with regards to the characters uh it, it's weird it's like if you could combine certain elements of all four of them you could ha almost have a complete character that you could kind of root for and understand and and, and follow along um but i felt like they were all missing something you know i mean ethan Ethan Myers, it, it kind of feels like the default character. He he feels like the one that you should be kind of like following centrally, but I don't think he has an arc. It doesn't feel like he has an arc. It's not really. It's more of a straight line. He, yeah, yeah. It's kind of yeah. He he's able to save you know his son this time, but really that should be sort of like bare minimum. I was kind of hoping that through the trials he would actually his character would change and he would be emboldened um, and he would be able to kind of you know, believe in himself again, because, I mean, he, he is at the absolute, you know, pit of despair. He's suicidal and, and depressed, and uh, it doesn't necessarily change that much. And what's more, if you don't necessarily do very well in the game, he can have horrible ends. Hmm. Um, so that he wasn't necessarily fun to, uh, you know, play as and, and feel that I wasn't going anywhere. I'd say the only character that does feel like they have some kind of arc to an extent is is uh norman jaden trying to overcome you know his 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 addiction knowledge was it tryptocaine yeah 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 um but even then that is a very light arc that is you know side service to the story really it, it doesn't have a, a great deal of weight to it um so 
do as far as as far as the actual story itself, I just I understand why it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. I I would say that I probably enjoyed it more for the actual involvement with the game controls and the action set pieces and sequences. But if that is the biggest take from this game, then by David Cage's own virtue, it's probably failed. Because yeah. he's trying to pull you in to the actual writing and the storytelling, and it's it's literally not all there. I'm actually really glad that you did that research, because I had no idea, and that it does explain a lot. You know, they talk about the 2,000-page script this game had, and even with all the slightly different versions of scenes or whatever, and the, the number of endings doesn't feel hugely expansive and now it kind of explains that some of those pages obviously didn't come to the final game i guess um there's a lot of stuff there's bits that we touched on that don't really have uh, a major impact on the story each of the four characters have like a major flaw like as you mentioned norman's addiction to trip to cane madison's insomnia um and ethan's blackout that goes absolutely nowhere which now as we understand should have been more i did think that maybe he was the killer immediately after having that you know sean goes missing he has a blackout i thought oh okay you know he's got the origami in his hand but obviously the further you go into the game the game just tells you outright there is a scene where ethan says he thinks he's the killer or whatever which if they'd have explored that more definitely could have been interesting but it it just felt thin like everything else if there was more time for that then sure uh the mystery of that would be more interesting. The only one that's remotely good is, is Scott's um, uh, asthma that he has, which in a flashback, if you're paying close attention, you'll realise who a certain character is because they're also huffing and puffing as they run around. Um, but we'll get to, to that kind of stuff. Um, let's, yeah, let's talk a little bit more characters before we close up the story section since we've touched on it a bit. Um, I'm in agreement that uh, David Duchovny Light, aka Norman, because he, he pretty much just looks like he should have come out of X Files. He is one of the better characters. You know, his addiction storyline was quite interesting, and in how you could, at, at points, decide whether or not you were going to take that drug. Um, I, same with Scott. I just found it easier to be invested in a character in this sort of police role, actually investigating the crime, rather than uh, Ethan, who is just going through the trials. As you said, though, once you're in the thick of the trials, that's the most interesting part, but it doesn't really feel like he's growing as a character. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere except going down a shopping list of of bad stuff. Um, I'm not really that sorry that I wound up putting him in jail. My bad. Uh, <laughs> um, Scott was definitely the, the best one for me, which obviously it all falls apart when we get to the revelation. Um, Sherwin, any, any standout or least favourite characters for you? I think um, I mean, we've said a lot about Ethan and um, I don't think I really need to add anything about Ethan other than that I agree. Mm. Um, I think I, I think none of the characters I, I think all of the characters presented in this in this game are just presented in a way that you just don't resonate with any of them. The closest you have is Shelby and, and that's really because again of, of the fact that the sheer didn't that the actual voice actor has more emotive yeah. uh, range than all of the others, but even then, it, it feels difficult to kind of really connect uh, with that too much. But um, I think special call out does have to go to Jaden, uh, which 
Jaden is a character which doesn't work on such a monumental scale that I literally just laughed through every single section of the game that I was in. <laughs> um, it just it, it just tears you so far from the from the gritty reality kind of of or the focus of of the rest of the game in terms of in terms of this is this is something which is about psychological trauma it's about it's you know it's very realistic um or at least it, in its own way it kind of tries to be super realistic about a man's depression and everything else and it, it tries to be very much rooted and grounded and the only way i the only the only comparative moment in any video game i can really think of is when Ada whips out her secret agent gun, and the whole Resident Evil Two remake really just takes a nosedive. Um, it's the closest. It's the closest I can say to that. It's it's that moment where I suddenly just stop back from the screen. And I'm like, okay, so this bro's got like some special glasses that let him see into the artificial reality world. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm at that point, at that early stage in the game, I've checked out. I, I, at this point, mostly because. Honestly, I look at that and I, I see where they were probably going with this and just thought, you know what, if you just gave this guy a coke addiction, then it would be so much more realistic and you could still achieve everything you wanted to do mm-hmm. with this, with like the guy struggling with an actual drug addiction. Um, you, you, know, you still could have had mechanically the bit where you're looking for clues and, and sort of, you know, digging through your memory for files or something. You know, you don't need to have a section where he walks into an office and then decides he wants to use the surface of Mars or whatever as a background and then, <laughs> and then start pulling files out of the ether. You could just have a filing cabinet. Like, yeah, if you've gone if you've gone as far as making Dad Simulator two thousand three or whatever it was, is this game came out? 10. 2010. If you've gone as far as making Dad Sim Bad Dad Simulator two thousand ten, then you can do like Bad Cop Simulator two thousand ten as well and have him go through filing cabinets and looking for stuff. Yeah. yeah. Lest uh, we forget Minority Report came out eight years before this, so it was a bit sort of it's a bit of a dated reference. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it's just it's not a great um I, I just found that just so bad. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms of the other characters, I mean, again, it's Madison we talked about just doesn't really seem to have any purpose or any connection whatsoever uh, for a very long time. Uh, Ethan is, as we've said, extremely dull and just you're very it's very easy to drop out of any sympathy for him mm. in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think the sheer doggedness of, of wooden script and delivery and the sort of chop change sort of style of it, as well as the fact that, as I've said again, the characters just don't really connect as anything other than really stereotypical scripted interactions um, and don't really appear to have much depth to them is, is a real barrier to me really engaging with a lot of them. But again, Jaden just does stand out as that one that, that made me care about how laughable it was. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Uh, cool. Unless anybody has any other character notes. Yeah, the the <laughs> one thing I hate about movies and stuff uh, is you know, but movies have kind of got better with it recently, right? Is when stuff is drawn out, and there was a bit where you're trying to get to know the the name of the kid of well, the other son from the granny in the hospital. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to make, and she's like. <laughs> To, you know, so like eight or nine times, it's like, I don't know. You know, I have only one son. And then, like, you, like she's like, come closer. And you're like, oh, God damn it, Grandma. Come on. You know, and then, she, and then nothing is said. It's whispered. And you're like, oh, what? 
Yeah. Another yeah. immersion breaking the reaction. Yeah. Like, the reaction she has, despite the fact you never see said characters e- together. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I was definitely Ethan then. I was right all along. Oh, no. Nope. Can't be. <laughs> nonsense. But yeah, it's oh god, that that I that was a there was a verbal reaction from me when that came out. <laughs> right, I was like, oh, come on, <laughs> right? It's like that is stupid. That is, you know, I am I am an amateur writer, and like when I look at that, and I'm like, I, I got mad. I was like, come on, that's that's dumb. Anyway, yeah, I, um, I've been complaining a lot about this game, like throughout the entirety of this podcast. So I'm going to just give it a little. I'm going to get a little bit of praise, right? Uh, and this is more the first time because I went out of my way to sabotage it the second time. The Scott Shelby reveal, like you know, the fact that you've been gathering evidence to cover your own tracks the entire time, and the fact the only reason you're investigating the case is to kill a copycat is uh, pretty good. I thought. I thought it was actually decent. As much as like you know, I prefer Nam and Jaden. I thought the Mm-hmm. The thrust of that arc and the fact that you are so manipulative and so downright evil to these people and the, your warm, like, you know, kind-hearted PI routine is actually complete and utter crap. Like, to the point that when I was playing this playthrough for the podcast, I literally went out of my way to make sure he got shot, beaten up, uh, and any <laughs> possible way I could mess it up for him, I did. Um, yeah, that, that right. might... Speak levels to my uh, time traveling vindictiveness. I am not sure. <laughs> the worst part is you can completely fluff his final, like, out of character up until this point shootout with uh, Gordy Kramer's goons, mm. and he just leaves. There's no, like, there's no, like, big pair of just like, oh, I've been shot four times, right? I'll, I'll see myself out, I'll get my coat. Uh, I was gutted at that. Mm. <clears throat> can we just take a silent appreciation moment? Uh, and I and this is much like in the same as Steve. I'm going to say a really positive thing now. There has never been a character in the history of mankind that can draw a straight line quite the same way as Ethan can. Those things are incredible. Like they are dead straight, just straight line from scratch. No wavering, nothing else. When you're drawing your architect, when you're drawing your picture at the start, um, th- those lines are incredible. <laughs> Speak for yourself. My my Ethan just threw all the paper in the bin and gave up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went about his day clanging plates on the table and generally being useless. <laughs> um, I, I mean, uh, just quickly, like if because we're all giving praise, uh, I want because I'm going to be pretty scathing for my summary when we get past gameplay. But the animations, the three animations we st- we see. Are pretty pretty cool. Um, I I did research research them a little bit. The first one you see that uh, Sean is watching at the beginning is called mm. yeah. Pirates. P Y R A T S. The second one during the interrogation is called Voodoo, and the last one is called I think Coquette Minute or Coquette Minette. And then they I one of them uh, I couldn't find the others, but or they might all be made by Goblins of Art, which is a French animation studio but they were so much fun to watch and they were great oh <laughs> uh, yeah no that's fair that's a nice little detail to actually put something on the tv that isn't just like pixelated mess like a <laughs> looping animation so yeah no i agree with that
Um, um, I, Steve, I, I kind of agree with the reveal, the, the Scott Shelby reveal, um, the idea that he's been going around destroying evidence and stuff was quite interesting when it happened. Um, when the reveal was made that he was the origami killer, I had to say I was massively disappointed. It seemed like, not to use a wrestling terminology, swerve for swerve's sake. Yeah. It's, mm. It just comes so far out of nowhere and technically doesn't even really make any sense. He's never... I, and Jordan, I don't know if there's any like cut stuff that you can illuminate on this and I'll throw it to you in a moment, but I don't... Maybe he's schizophrenic. Maybe he was meant to be a schizophrenic character because in this game... Uh, not to talk too much about gameplay, but if you hold down, I think, one of the left triggers or whatever, you get a bunch of choices of different thoughts you can hear. And I, I guess Scott's convinced himself that he's not the killer because all of his thoughts are about finding the killer. Uh, yeah, okay, out of stretch, the copycat killer. But it just doesn't seem to jive with the revelation when you've been hitting all those thought bubbles that I got. And, you know, when it came out, it was just so unbelievable that he was the killer. I, mean, I guess he makes a cool bad guy. But it, yeah, I mean, it crashed and burned for me. I think the end is is really a mess. Um, I mean, I like the reveal, but cool bad guy is way too much praise. Not, okay, not like, a cool bad guy, but I thought it was an interesting idea, just terribly executed. Um, especially because, at least in my playthrough, um, it really wants you to think that it's Blake, Norman's partner. Um <laughs> You can apparently there's a scene where I looked this up. You can accuse him of being the killer, but it kind of it, it turns out that's not the case, and you've wasted your time, um, and he's not involved. There's a scene beforehand when Norman's looking at his files, and he says that's why he's so keen to pin it on someone, as if to say, oh, Blake's trying to pin it on Ethan because Blake's the real killer. Maybe he's covering for Scott Shelby because they kind of imply they know each other, but they never really address that that at all. It's so weird. The end's a mess. The end's a mess, basically. So the ending that I got, just to wrap it, was uh, Ethan went to jail and the other two characters met up to to Scott to stop Scott, and he and he died. Uh, Steve, See, go ahead. It, it just like it turns out, you know, Carter Blake is in fact just a horrendously incompetent. They're not. No, they're yeah, not, he's I, just an asshole. I mean, when you think yeah. about it, right, okay, Ethan comes in, the first time goes, right, okay, my kid's been missing. What's the first thing he says? Oh, I'm sure I'll be fine. Literally having the previous night found a body from the origami killer. <laughs> uh, you know, and then uh, not only with Ethan holding an origami figure in his hand, like, and then the second that Ethan's wife goes, yeah, it's Ethan, Ethan did it, Ethan did it. He's doggedly pursuing him like it's the fugitive. Mm. <laughs> Complete with homage to the fugitive that just doesn't work because he just jumps off a roof and not down a stop. Oh, God, don't get me started. <laughs> um, I didn't kill my wife. Sorry, Harrison Ford. Yeah, I love that film. <laughs> right, okay. Um, what, what was I saying? Yeah, Carter Blake, idiot. Yeah, fair. Um, Jordan, do you uh, have any insight into to the ending? And, and how, what did you think of it personally? Um... Well, yeah, you were, you were hoping that maybe I could give some kind of context that would maybe further explain or, you know, embolden the whole idea of Scott Shelby being I, the origami killer. No, I've got nothing. Not that anything that I could find. Um, I, I mean, it's it, it's a weird one, really. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this as a little extra piece of trivia, is that David Cage has said that, um, you know, two of the films that he was inspired by when, you know, coming up with the story uh, and... and you know, trying to sort of make something of a sort of a, a serial killer mystery. 
Um, two films that he was inspired by was Seven, mm. as, as we mentioned earlier on the podcast, and also um, uh, Bong Joon-ho's uh, Memories of Murder. Um, and he said, in particular, he liked the idea of a story or you know, or a mystery that doesn't necessarily have a satisfying resolution, as in <sighs> you don't necessarily find out who the killer is um, or they get away. And to an extent, that's being achieved by having somebody, you know, who's effectively hiding in plain sight, like Scott Shelby, as the killer and as the twist. And it's it's almost clever, but it takes a mental leap to make it work. Mm. Um, so you you know, if you, if you got a if you got a clock near you, you got a watch or something like that, try and count thirteen seconds, because thirteen seconds is what is required to make this work, because. Obviously, there's a big plot hole, or a seeming plot hole, when Scott and is it Lauren go yeah, to yeah. Uh, the typewriter store, and then Manfred's killed. Manfred, mm-hmm. Manfred's killed. Uh, that whole sequence, he goes to the back to look for a, a lodger, and um, and then all of a sudden he's he's killed. He's been bludgeoned to death. That whole thing takes place in 13 seconds, and we're to believe that it was. Scott Shelby doing that, despite the fact he was in the other room with Lauren, uh, we're expected to believe that because Lauren was looking at an ornament for 13 seconds. And he ran into the back, smacked Manfred, came back out and went, I wonder where Manfred is. And then went back in. (laughs) Oh, and and also called the police. Now, uh, look, um, I don't know how old Scott Shelby's meant to be. Uh, but that is a lot to do for even Usain Bolt to do in, in 13 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> run in, kill someone, call the cops, run back out and wonder what's going on. It's, it's, it's just, it's strange. And it's, it's weird because uh, Fahrenheit had something um, that probably would have been compelling to use in Heavy Rain. Because in Fahrenheit, the game opens with you as one of the characters who... Uh, I'm not going to go into it, but through some kind of possession, randomly kills a man in a, in a bathroom, and then has to kind of like quickly kind of like hide the evidence. He doesn't understand what he's done, but he is basically a killer at large. And the other characters that you are then introduced to, the other characters that you play as, are the detectives trying to figure out who the killer is. And as such, um, through your actions, you can actually uh, mess with their investigation and kind of uh-huh. almost throw them off the trail. Huh. Can't speak for the full length of the game because I haven't beaten it, but that was at least where I got to. And the funny thing is, that would have been really suitable for this game. The mm. idea that you already know who the killer is, and you can almost kind of pit the people trying to investigate it versus the actual criminal um, perpetrating it. Um, but obviously that wasn't that wasn't the case. And the game is deliberately trying to f- throw you off that scent by making Scott Shelby seem uh, like a completely separate individual. Um, I mean, I've got nothing to prove it, but the nightclub scene when Norman Jaden actually finds the origami killer, I swear he's a different size <laughs> compared to when they flash back to that scene later on. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Let's 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 be honest. Scott Shelby, he's a, he's a he's a big guy. He cuts a big figure, even if he is in you know a, a Mister X trench coat and hat. <laughs> um, I feel like that would have been obvious if if it was Scott Shelby. I mean, 
I'll be honest, I already knew uh, he was the killer because I'd had it spoiled for me years ago. So it wasn't like a big revelation playing through the game. But I kind of, for that reason, when it came to the reveal, I was just kind of like, it is a bit weak. Hmm. Um, so in that respect, yeah, it didn't it didn't work so well. But as far as my, my ending, um, it was all right. It was kind of like half good. I... I'd managed to complete enough of the trials to be able to uh, locate Sean as as Ethan. And I was able to I was able to rescue him without me taking the poison. So you know at least they end up together. Um, uh, Madison Page, uh, you know she and Ethan have the romance. So they end up together and they get a new place and that's all happy and that. Uh, Scott Shelby gets away, um, and Norman Jaden dies. Because I messed up on like what, like the second to last sequence, it's so annoying. So you have that whole uh, warehouse fight sequence, and they're they're outside, and they're on that uh, big conveyor belt that's going up. And there's a whole sort of like Donkey Kong segment where Scott Shelby's throwing a bunch of crap, and Norman Jaden's got to try and dodge it. And then uh, I thought it like I was I was doing it, I was like doing all of the motions, and then it got to he picked up a hammer. And he threw that, and then that was it. That Norman Jane was out. And I thought it was a fake-out at first, because I was like, well, I had something similar happen with Madison Page earlier in the in, in the game. Mm. I thought, oh, no, he'll come back. And then, no, no. He just fell to his death, and Scott Shelby got away. Oh, um, so boy. Yeah, I kind, of, I kind of felt a little <laughs> bit kind of, but I was like, well, <laughs> at least I didn't get any of kind of like the bad Ethan endings, because... I went back and had a look at those, and man, some of those are depressing. Mm. Oh, but, uh, oh, there's yeah. a perfect one in the graveyard with Madison. Oh my god! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was that was my endings, but uh, yeah, in in general, yeah, I'm not I'm not quite bowled over by the twist of the killer. Yeah, mm. I um, my I didn't even said something about poisoning. I I've no idea. I didn't even get that far. I, uh, with Ethan, I failed the electric maze puzzle, and he and he cowardly went through the coward door, um, which let me continue playing. It didn't stop or anything after that. But where I fell down was quite literally when uh, the rooftop chase is when I got uh, hauled into jail, and, and that was the last scene from Ethan. But he gets released at the end because the other two characters put Scott away. So he his ending, like the character and like the story himself, for me was kind of boring. Uh, Steve, what endings when, did you get? Yeah. I got the the, the perfect rose-tinted ending this time because I went all in Mm -hmm. on, like, you know, sabotaging Shelby. Um, Yeah, no, everyone... uh, You know, Jaden kicked his habit. Some remnants of the ARI still in his eyes. Uh, You know, I went for the cliche Hollywood bit with Madison and, uh, you know, Ethan. But it turns out, just spoilers for everyone who does all of the trials, the, the poison, the poison that's meant to rob Ethan of his life in an hour is the fake out. It's just syrup, or you know, Shelby for some reason has a blind spot for poison and can't get it right because that doesn't kill him. He's perfectly fine. <laughs> uh, which is considering the amount of harrowing stuff he puts Ethan through, a bit of an oversight. Just saying, because <laughs> um, some of those trials, my my my, uh, my my fellow listeners, are downright horrific. Um, yeah, no, it was fine. Honestly, they all live happily ever after. Sean seems to like his dad again, despite you know. Really being left in a storm drain for four days, I'd be a bit miffed. Fair. <laughs> it's kind of meh. You know, uh, I have seen the other endings, and, uh, you know, it's worth seeking them out for the level of cringely awfulness ones there are. Although, if you do go about 
what I would consider almost the perfect book note ending is if you were to sabotage everyone except Scott, but make sure Lauren survives, it's the most perfect twist because like he's obviously been leading everybody on, but he's trying to catch the killer and undermines everything. And then she just appears from nowhere, having deus ex machina the entire plot herself, despite not being around for most of it, and just shoots him, which mm. is poignantly grim. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, the, doing it the way it's meant to be intended for the big Hollywood, Hollywood ending feels almost like a cop-out when you can see some levels of completely awful written dialogue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's hard to convey, really, but you should seek them out especially the one where Madison proposes to Ethan over their son's grave to have another child. And Ethan reacts a bit. <laughs> I've mostly avoided looking at them, to be honest. I knew about the, the, the Lauren kills Scott ending, but I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to watch them after we're done recording because I kind of just want to hear people's interpretations before I seek them out myself. Um, James, what endings did you get? Uh, I got exactly the same one as Jordan. I, uh... Oh, okay. Yeah, I got, um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, Norman, uh, <laughs> I missed the, I missed the QTE on the hammer, and yeah, for, I watched Jordan, uh, Jordan, sorry, I, I watched Norman for a good 15 seconds go down this conveyor belt into the grinder, um, at the end, and yeah, I also, like, that poison as well, like, he took poison and set, and he was like, just know I love you, son, or something, something. And then, like, it didn't work. It was just cow pole or something. Um, it's so much better if, like, they get out the door after everything's resolved and then the poison works. You know, yeah. as an actual twisted payoff. Or, or yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's just it's maple syrup. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and she'll, she'll be still walking the streets. Um, yeah, after that. Uh, yeah, so I... But again, like by that point in the game, I was not invested right. at all. So I didn't really care either way. But I was surprised that Sean didn't die of hypothermia after being in that storm drain <laughs> for four days or whatever it was. Like, yeah, he, he was in there for so long. He should have been a prune. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand how he was still alive. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly the same ending. And, mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same. As, I was the same as you. So I, I haven't actually looked into the endings at all. I was going to wait till after the podcast to have a look into them and uh, make some tweets about them. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, so apparently, there's there's 17 endings. Um, I did a Google. Wow. I did a Google for how long the game is before I played it, and then I curiously just wanted to know how many endings there were. I don't know if that's strictly true because really, it's you got four characters and they each have numerous different endings so it's different combinations really is, is what it looks up once once you've done it obviously these are different endings like different epilogues scenes get placed in your little movie viewer so you can play it a few more times and get different ones and and have them all unlocked to view um so i strictly don't know how many actual configurations of endings there are but uh, nonetheless uh showing what did you think of the end and what endings did you achieve uh, everyone died, man. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm saying it. Um, so uh, let's see. Madison got killed uh, by the crazy old dude. Crazy old dude. Oh man, the doctor. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jeez. Oh yeah. Come on, that. Yeah. fetish scene. Jesus. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, she never made it out, um, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Um, this this also meant that um, Ethan, who Ethan, Ethan killed himself unorthodoxly, but um, yeah, Ethan didn't make it out. Ethan got captured and uh, went to prison, and but at that point, Jaden was also dead um, because <laughs> got killed by uh, Shelby. So incredible. Um, sorry, that's incredible. So, um, so that didn't happen. And to be fair, so had my interest in the game, but also died at this point. So it, was, it, was, it kind of worked out in its own way. And then, yeah, my reward at the end is that um, for uh, being good enough to romance Laura meant that she shot me. So uh, it was all good. Um, <laughs> around, really beautiful. Yeah, um, I, th- I think, I think honestly, I mean that that scene probably stands out especially as just being some of the most, one of the most wooden scenes I've ever seen in my entire life, but, um, of anything, but I think honestly, the, the game is, uh, the endings. I think the problem with the endings is that some of them are just, there's some really heavy subjects like suicide in there and they just feel so, so much like you asked a, like a 16 year old kid to write a story of a suicide mm-hmm. at the end. Like they don't really weigh at all in terms of the mental trauma that a character might have gone through to get to that point or whatever else. It's like a haphazard thing that's thrown in. Mm. That really resonated with me a lot, like in terms of looking at the endings and seeing what, you know, the amount of ways that Ethan kills himself, for example. And so much of that just feels like it's just just literally the most cursory kind of, oh, yeah, we just kill himself at the end. That's Why not? That seems like an ending to fit this. Or whatever else, like it just feels very much like it's a token gesture in a lot of these things, and I don't. None of that necessarily sits very well, but I think honestly, the the answer is is that the endings feel flat, but that's mostly because the whole game's narrative feels quite flat. Yeah, uh, and I think I think that's why they don't really resonate or anything. It's kind of they're just a series of miserable endings for a game that's made itself to be as miserable as possible with most of the different choices for the colors, for the story arc, for the for the acting for everything else so yeah that's fair i mean i i was one of the people that managed to off the killer at the end and i certainly didn't feel like i had any great sense of achievement or resolve for it so i Mm. even with the massive difference in the way that our stories ended i i do agree with that um let's talk finally about the way the game controls as i mentioned at the top of the show um there is a move edition it was sort of designed with motion controls in in mind, at least at some point. Um, I couldn't help feeling at several points in the game that perhaps it would be better with the move controller for immersion's sake. And also, would it just be easier? Because it's a game of many, many quick time events, a lot of which is essentially just trial and error, the way it throws, they throw them at you. Ugh. I found it hard to know whether certain ones would tap a lot or hold them down. I know they all had different symbols, but I just found memorizing the different different style of box kind of difficult. It wouldn't sit in my brain. So I had lots of issues where I was like, well, failed that. I guess I'll hurriedly try and do it another way to see if I can get out of it. That kind of thing. Some of the some of them felt okay to do. Stuff where you're using like one side of your body, so all of them are or like the left triggers and on the d-pad or on the right side of the body is on the, the face controls and the right triggers like that that felt okay but mostly it just i didn't enjoy the way that it played and just getting head around the walking controls at the beginning 
I felt like, you know, after the first 10 minutes, I wondered if I was going to make it through the whole game until I picked up the walking controls because it just felt so unnatural holding down R2 to walk. My character is just hugging walls and spinning on the spot until I figured out what it wanted me to do. I'll tell you how you don't improve tank controls, ladies and gentlemen. You don't give them a bloody accelerator. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh. I was like, oh, it's kind of like Resident Evil, but everything's wrong about it. Brilliant. Right? Everyone says tank <laughs> controls are outdated and terrible, but this, I don't know, as a tank control player, I just found this so hard to get my head around at first. Steve, what did you think of the, uh, the controls and the gameplay at large? Generally, I was okay, but I've played like Shenmue and so many other QT sure. games. I'm pretty much indestructible. The only ones that <laughs> kind of caught me off guard were the ones where you either had to be a little slower or you had to swing the controller. Like, that, the actual moving the controller in a direction stuff, half the time it just wouldn't register. It might be the quality of my pad. Realistically speaking, it is an old busted PS3 pad that's been through its fair share of abuse. And I'm not even one of these people who throws a controller in frustration. Um... Mm. And the only other things were a case of me feeling thick for when it's a hold button and release QTE. Mm. Um, the amount of times, though, where it's got this QTE-heavy sequence and you can intentionally fluff it up and it still goes ahead, I'm just like, why even have it then? Yeah. Why, why not just have a movie without the X button, circle, and triangle prompts constantly filling up the screen? Yeah, um, I definitely have a point to make about that, but carry on. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, it's fine. I, I've played worse. I think the, the way the action's done in this game is a lot better than its, pre, its predecessor. Because um, in the QTEs in Fahrenheit were literally like, you know, analog stick based in the middle of the screen mm. that were multicolors. And this, in this case, of it, in the way the attack is going, which is where a lot of people are going to focus in the eye, is the button prompt. That makes sense. Uh, if it wasn't cut together, like, you know, Michael Bay's been taking LSD. Because <laughs> a lot of the fights seem about as cluster as like a Transformers fight in a Michael Bay film. Just replace it with a boring man in a trench coat and a dude with a bad haircut. Mm. <sighs> yeah, fair point. Uh, James, what did you think of the gameplay? Uh, I played on the PC this time around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it is on Steam right now. Um, and the I felt like the, the mouse controls, because a lot of it is just sliding, right? Uh, the mouse control yeah. is pretty good, to be honest. Um, but again, an entire game made of QTE events made an already bland game even more bland. Mm. And like there was a point, <laughs> again, another another time that I verbally just got, I went, ugh, you know, uh, as a as an ace person, having to go through a sex scene with QTEs was the most awkward thing I've ever done. Um, like there, there was this point where you know they were trying to kiss, and I kept on missing. So they were doing this thing where they were just like going in and then out and then in and then out, you know, while trying to kiss each other. It was so weird. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. That sounds awful. <laughs> it was. It was terrible. Um, but yeah. Uh, and you know, but other than that, though, like the, the mouse controls were pretty good actually. Um, in terms of how they reacted, reacted, I just didn't like the matter of the game, mm. but it was in like in the fact I was doing it all the time. It was just for a lot of repetitiveness. And I have to agree with you also, side that um, I didn't know whether to smash a button, hammer it, spam it, keep it held in. I didn't know because they're all very similar. Mm. Um, the symbols were um, in terms of the gameplay and how the characters move. <laughs> the body moves first, and then the head follows. 
Um, it was so strange. It was so exorcist every time it, it would happen. You know, it just felt like, you know, sprockets and bolts are just going to pop out of their necks. Um, so moving around. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, there was also a bit where I almost fell asleep. And it was, and I shouldn't have because it was a super. Um, uh, I mean, to be honest, almost fell asleep a few times for this this game, but this was the worst time. It was going through that freaking vent with glass in it. How long did oh, that gosh. have to be? Yeah, like it was like a full like two and a half minutes, maybe more, of just crawling through here. And I was like, oh, is this going to end at any point? Can I give you a nice eleventh hour reveal for that bit, in case viewers, are, uh, li- viewers, if, in case listeners are still playing, right, or what have you? You don't even need to slow down for that bit. The game will scare you into doing that. Just go full speed, just ripping apart. <laughs> of course, yeah, of course, of course, um, that's the way. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, the, the PC controls. If you like QT events, like it works well on the PC, but mm. yeah, um, I don't really like, you know. A game that's full of QTE events. I'm just blown away. I didn't even know we're on PC. I had to play it on PS3. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> when did this happen? It's only a five right now as well. Uh, well, that's a bit overpriced. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you get like you, you know, you get like six, seven hours out of it. You know, that's a pound. You know, over a pound an hour. That's pretty good. You know, value for money, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, sorry. I have, have a. I'll have a summary later on, but yeah, yeah, that, yeah the gameplay, that's how I feel. Uh, Sherwin, how did you feel about the gameplay? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in on this one. I, I think, into its defence, yes, it's not terribly intuitive in some places, um, but I think I, I found this quite straightforward, and that might well be because I've, been, I've played an awful lot of Detroit Become Human, mm. um, which is very, very, very similar. I do think that the beginning parts of the game are very, very, very tedious um, because, and I can understand why, it it is a necessary game for basically introducing this style of of what the game is because it takes something that, I don't don't know, quick time events were first introduced in Shenmue, certainly the first time I remember seeing them in games, Mm. but... um, then and in that they were faintly annoying because you're watching a cutscene suddenly oh wow I need to do something and I just missed it yeah whereas and it more puts you on edge at any given time whereas in this the whole game is that so I kind of don't mind that what it is like it, it, it's just that's the gameplay style but I think there's lots of stuff where it is like hey I'm going to simulate brushing my teeth hey I'm going to simulate kind of putting out some plates and struggling to do that I'm going to simulate kind of you know everything and mm. I think. The game has got so much kind of mechanical kind of look at me, look how cool this is. You can do all this stuff that the start of the game is really slow as a result. It's like there are just a few too many options that you can go and do. Um, but what's really interesting I, I found is so I, I'm not going to say that it was bad or anything, but what I found really interesting, it sort of goes into gameplay, is just how many of these scenes and how many of these shots and how much stuff from this game was reused. Um, as setups in Detroit Become Human. Hmm. Um, so much of this stuff to the point where, uh, yeah, this is more summary stuff, I think, at the end, maybe, but so much of this stuff was just really just lifted wholesale and they tried again in Detroit Become Human and got it right this time. Is the right way to, is, is the, probably the way I would say of doing hmm. this. 
like in terms of um you know down to the how the fight scenes work out even to the choreography in the fight scenes down to the setup in terms of i found myself just frequently playing this going oh okay this is that scene from this oh okay this is really that even the character interactions in terms of okay so this is basically connor as he is in detroit become human basically is jaden in this film the sort of film in this game they're basically the same character it's just that jaden is a futuristic character that doesn't fit or more precisely is fits into the future that is detroit become human (laughs) where all of that stuff actually makes sense Mm. um and it's just interesting it's just really i found that quite that kind of so the gameplay itself i found quite straightforward but i couldn't take myself away from the fact that a lot of it just very much echoed a previous experience of another game which in this case is weird because that game is however many years into the future because it's a future release so yeah it's uh you mentioned about sort of the the tedious stuff especially early on just dragged a memory out from this game i completely forgot about but you're, you're so right some of the stuff where you're looking after sean and you know you've got to make his dinner and you sit down and you stare at him while he eats and you sit down and stare at him while he does homework I literally as much as I had great things to say about the visuals of this game and I think it it does look really good and it's held up really well 11 years on I literally was crying with laughter at Ethan's it's so because it's weird because it's like this game's trying to be ultra real but not and he like microwaves the ugliest video game pizza I've ever seen for about four seconds and then serves it up. I, it was it was so weird to be like, I'm playing a video game and this is what I'm doing right now. Microwaving a pizza for four seconds and it looks terrible. Like, what am I doing in my life kind of kind of thing. He gives him one slice and then leaves it out as well. Not yeah, exactly what I'd call so quality. <laughs> the whole bit's so weird. I just, I completely forgot until now that it literally had me in tears. Um... Jordan, what do you think of the gameplay of Heavy Rain? Well, it's... I mean, I I, I do have a, a love-hate sort of relationship with David Cage's QTE framework. Uh, the whole notion that his games sort of depend on it, rely on it as, as a, his manner of effective storytelling. I, I've said before on this podcast that I'm not a fan of quick time events and i actually consider uh they're the thing that actually hold resident evil 4 back from being perfect Mm. uh, because there is at least a high enough prevalence of them that they they affect it i don't feel as strongly with regards to heavy rain because as sharon pointed out it's throughout the whole game so you you are acclimatized to it um in time not immediately um certainly a lot of those segments at the beginning you can almost do wrong, and, and yeah, it becomes funny. I mean, uh, you know, I slammed every single plate down when it, when it came <laughs> putting out the plates for the birthday party. Like, it, it just became funny because <laughs> then then she gets upset, and Ethan's like, oh, I'm sorry. Bang. Oh, I'm sorry. Bang. <laughs> just do it over and over. Um, but it, it event, eventually, I kind of, I, I did get into the game, and I kind of, I was I was engaged. Um, and and I, in, at that point, I found that the QTs were effective, and there was a certain amount of weight to it that I uh, appreciated. Not in every respect, like there were still sort of certain cases where I had a sort of a, a disregard for, uh, you know, the consequences of the of the actions. You know, right at the beginning, it's sort of like, oh, we're you know asking Norm Jane, no, we're 
collecting money for a for a wristwatch. Um, it's like, yeah, I'll chuck that in. That's not my money. And then it'd be like, right, you need to cut off your finger to save your son. Yeah, that's not my finger. Cut that off. You know. <laughs> yeah. But but there were also scenes where I I, I was um, invested. I mean, you know. <laughs> I feel a little bit cheated when Steve mentions that you don't have to slow down when you're going through those mm -hmm. tunnels full of glass. Um, I absolutely did that as well, as slow as humanly possible. It yep. felt like Metal Gear Solid 4 again. Um, and I think it doesn't tell you. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's weird, though, because the thing is, obviously, you need a certain, especially on the PS3 controller, you need a certain amount of like uh, tension um, on, on, on the button sometimes. And... Uh, Throughout that whole segment, you're keeping a certain tension on the, the shoulder buttons, I believe, for actually progressing through the tunnel. And mm. having it prolonged in that fashion, I, I don't know why that was something that engaged me more with the controls, because I, I, I had to keep control of something. Um, I mean, I have I have some experience with the, the Move Edition, because it was the edition that I first picked up with a bundle of the ps3 and the move controller and all of that jazz um i mean from my limited experience because i didn't, obviously i didn't get far into the game the first time i played it from my limited experience it does help with some of the contextual actions you'll certainly feel like you're more closely opening a door because of the fact that you're moving the the, the controller in that kind of fashion um but in general i wouldn't say it's necessarily worth it for a for a full playthrough, I suppose if you're sort of you're sitting down in a particular space, and you're you're ready to engage with motion controls in the same way that you would like a Wiimote or something, mm -hmm. um, then it then it's effective and it and it works. And there's probably lots of contextual actions that I missed out on that were very clever. Um, but I would say the controller does fine. Yeah. Um, I didn't mess up too many times. There were there were certainly some points where it's like I can't tell if I meant to button mash at this point. Or my character is afraid, and that's why the right. UI is all shaking. Yes, hundred percent. So it tries to be minimal, but sometimes it's not always informative. Mm. Um, and so that was a bit of an issue for me. But uh, besides that, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. It wasn't that big of a deal. If I did mess up once or twice, it didn't have a grave consequence, except for Norman Jaden. Um, but I mean, as far as as far as the actual sort of game design. Outside of controls, outside of typical kind of uh, sequences and, and how you play, the actual idea of consequences, the idea that there is no such thing as a game over screen, mm -hmm. was um, a massive endeavor to, you know, put in a game at that time. And it's not obviously entirely successful because it's to the detriment, perhaps, of some of the writing or some of the other aspects of the gameplay. But as somebody who was critical of that, uh, 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 absence in Fahrenheit. Mm. I loved it in this. I love the fact that if I did something in one scene, it would um, have a follow up, um, and I I couldn't necessarily kind of escape that. If I messed up, the game sort of said, "Well, well, that matters. That is a part of this world." And obviously, a lot of games have taken that and really ran with it. You know, Telltale it was pretty much built. Their entire sort of adventure series around that, and, mm. and obviously, Quantic Dream has continued to make uh, games in that in that respect uh, until Dawn as well. That's another game that's sort of picked up that mantle and ran off with it. So, it, it obviously it, it works. Um, 
I think this was it was it was trying out new things and it doesn't quite hit the mark. But I did I did at least appreciate that stuff. I feel like it's it justified itself enough in that respect. Mm. Um, the only sort of uh, shortcoming I I felt there was with uh, the quick time events because I've I've had an issue with some of these games in the respect that sometimes the scenes feel like they could purely be cutscenes, and I, you know I I feel like these games are completely legitimate as games. I don't feel like they're just movies with uh, button prompts put on. I I don't think they're that shallow. I think it's a disservice to to suggest it. But at the same time, there are scenes which really kind of go against that argument because it'll literally be one shot of you. You get out of your car, you're standing and you're facing the door of a building, and the only thing you can do is press forward. That's it. Mm. And, and, and and I just think, well, why don't you just like skip ahead a little bit or incorporate that into the cutscene, and then once I can explore a room and do a number of different things, that's when you give me the control. Yeah. Because I just feel like that's a bit sort of redundant. Um, and there's also certain sequences that you can't actually uh, move on from until you have done enough to satisfy the game. And the game kind of almost breaks the wall because it says, whoa, whoa, you forgot to do something. You know, you'll, you'll start leaving and then suddenly an inner monologue will be like, ah, actually, I've got to go do something else. And you, you do feel like you're then chained to uh, whatever the game is trying to kind of progress in the, in the story. So there's certain limitations. Uh, I mean, if you go to a fridge and you, you shake up the orange juice, you should have the freedom to be able to put it back in and not drink it. Uh, it's instead, too late now, you've committed. If you go to a fridge and you shake up that orange juice, you've got to drink it. You've got to drink it all. It's <laughs> it's really wasteful. <laughs> it's a waste of a shake. But no, like it's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but in, in, in seriousness, I, I think it has, it has its strengths. Um, but at this point, you could definitely tell there were certain limitations, mm. which hopefully... I haven't played many games in this genre, but... I, I certainly hope that he has been able to refine and expand upon since. Mm -hmm. I um, just on the motion controls was the main thing. I I, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'd play it again at some point just to experience the motion controls. Mostly just because there are parts where I ask you to like jam down four different buttons at some point. I'd like to see what they're like on the motion controls. Because I hated them on the controller, and maybe they're better with the PlayStation Move. I don't know. <laughs> okay, one point about that with regards to because there is well, there is one particular sequence where I think you have to like it's the electric the whole... fence thing that I'm thinking of. Oh right, well I mean that that is definitely that is definitely one of them. The one I was thinking of is is a whole, a whole lot more sillier than that, <laughs> but it is the closest it feels like to a contextual action. Like, oh, this is what the character's hand is doing. Mm. Can't believe I'm going through this. This the segment with with Madison and Paco when you oh, you got him by the balls <laughs> and you're slowly pressing onto more of the buttons on the controller. And the, and by the time that you have got all the shoulder buttons and I think like two of the face buttons and whatever, it, it, you are gripping quite hard on your controller. <laughs> yeah, fair and point. I thought and I thought and I couldn't believe that my thoughts were thinking this. It was like Wow, a video game has actually been able to realistically depict grabbing somebody by the balls. Every <laughs> <laughs> ah, night, ladies and gents. <laughs> the Academy Award for Best Direction goes to David Cage. <laughs> Excellent. 
All right, let's let's wrap this up then. Um, final thoughts on Heavy Rain. Showing since this was your pile of shame pick, I'm going to allow you to go first. Thank you. I'm going to apologise to everybody uh, for making them play this game they thoroughly didn't <laughs> enjoy. Um, <laughs> different type of shame. But no, I, I think... Um, do you know, in summary, actually, despite all of the flack that I've given this game... Um, I have to ultimately land at a point where I actually praise it. Um, I think it's a very bold game. I think it's a game that needed to come into existence. Mm. Be nothing else. It's it's basically a game which came out and was massively influential, and you know created a whole slew of games and a whole a whole bunch of stuff. Arguably, a genre that followed on from it. Yeah. Um, and I think you probably best summed it up by saying it's alone in the dark, and. Mm. I think it, it basically produced a whole bunch of other stuff that followed on from it, which will really build on and capitalize what it is. And as we've shown, it's something where if you can see past a lot of flaws, then you probably have a game there. But I imagine it's a bit like um, I imagine it's a bit like Silent Hill Two in this in the respect of. Don't worry, sorry, I don't want to trigger you. It's a bit <laughs> like Silent Hill Two in the respect of you look at this game, you say this game was really, really, really important. Do you want to play it again? No. It, it's literally that. Mm. Uh, except in Silent Hill 2's case, it's because you're just terrified of it. In this case, you are terrified of it, but for entirely different reasons. <laughs> uh, it is something where... And I, I mentioned I mentioned Detroit Become Human earlier on. That game took what Heavy Rain did and polished it and then made it really, really good. Um, I, I think... I genuinely feel that all the stuff, all the shortcomings that are, vi- that are visible here uh, just got taken and polished and turned into Detroit Become Human. And then mm. that game, by comparison, entirely very compelling and really thoroughly just a solid, solid release. And that only came into existence because this thing had already come out and, you know, sort of been the low budget version that came out several years before its time, I suspect. Mm. It's probably the way of saying it. Like this, this game is just ahead of its time. Yeah, um, I think I agree with that. Uh, and I think that's, I think truthfully, that's that's the best thing I can, that's the you know best and worst thing I can say about it, which is this is a swing and a miss, but it's it's a small, flawed piece of genius in its own way. Yeah, I think um, despite all the complaints that I have, um, I am sort of glad that I played it, and you know, as a as a curiosity thing something that I didn't really know too much about, as I said, being an Xbox player at the time, to go back and experience this and kind of understand what some of the hype was about. Um, yeah, it's, re- it's, it's a really interesting game. Uh, but yeah, I, I, and I agree. Um, it might not necessarily succeed in quite a lot of what it sounds, sets out to do, but it does sort of lay the groundwork and the blueprint of what could possibly be achieved with these kind of ideas such as as mentioned the lack of a game over in a way there is no best ending almost it was i found it kind of difficult at times to let go of you know oops i messed that up no you know that could theoretically be the right answer in the story there is no actual canon ending to this of course because there's no sequels or anything like that as far as I'm aware, there's been no official statement on what endings are the correct ones. So it's funny because it, it does make you think about it and part of your brain wants to resist if you let a character die. 
oh, can I reload a previous save? You can absolutely do that, but you, you, that's not the point of the game. You, you kind of have to just let this story play out. But in the same token, does that mean that no choice matters at all? Is there, as Steve played it, you know, trying to jeopardize certain characters or, or all characters, you could play it as. Because it doesn't really matter. It's all going to end anyway. Whatever happens, something's, it's going to play out, whether you're involved or not. Which is probably quite a dreary review, appropriate for such a dreary game. I think... Um, sorry, sorry, sir. I didn't mean no, to go ahead. You there. I was going to say, I think that this is a game where it's very much about the journey. Exactly Absolutely. as you've just said. It's not about getting the best ending or getting a certain ending. It's about playing through and experiencing the narrative experiencing the characters the emotions the you know it's the journey it's it's mm-hmm. very much a game where from from a narrative perspective i enjoy the idea of of playing through and if you do something then it makes an on you know it's, it makes a follow on you know um has follow on meaning or whatever else mm-hmm. it's absolutely that the problem is is that the journey is not endearing or engaging or compelling yeah. it's, and uh... that's the issue yeah, unfortunately, whilst the ideas are, are really good, it's overall uh, pretty unsatisfactory. Uh, Steve, what are your final thoughts on Heavy Rain? So, this game is uh, a commission of a cardinal sin for Steve. And uh, I can power through pretty much anything, given enough time, patience and endurance. But when a game forces me not to care, mm. and it's trying to have emotional weight... like uh, th- This game feels to me like if someone got Hideo Kojima really drunk, Got use Suzuki really drunk, and also Uber Ball and put them in a blender. Like I, I, I realize everyone else is going to dance around the issue, but I just can't get on with it. I think, like like Sherman said, Detroit Become Human is actually a, a fun game. Like it, in some ways, it's, it's a, lot, a lot more compellingly written. Um, but this, if I had to put it in the Pantheon David Cage games, you know, I haven't played Omicron the New Nomad Soul, so that one I don't get to talk about. This is crap. Like, uh, the music's nice, but everything else, I just couldn't bring myself to get... Like, this is one of the few games where I've actually had to, like... I'm trying to get through it, and I just can't. I have to keep taking constant breaks. If it, Playing this through at 15-minute intervals kills you, Oof. because it just can't bring you in. Mm. Like, hmm. I, I will say again, the music is nice in a vacuum. The characters are crap. It's... The story itself feels like a teenager's approach to trying to be serious and adult. Yeah. Like... Uh, not to be too scathing to dear David Cage and everything, but it does feel like he's got the mind of a 16-year-old pretending he's 40. And I just can't get on with it. I, I, I apologise to people who think this is some kind of tentpole title. There are better ones on the PlayStation 3, I assure you. You know, you've got Persona 4. Mm. You've got Metal Gear Solid 4. You know, there, there are much more compelling titles that I can't think of right now that still validate my arguments. So Uncharted. Sure enough, this game's rubbish. <laughs> Uncharted is the, the the one thing for PlayStation Three for me, as I said. Oh yeah, you know, if you want to be depressed and like you know have a really sad story, play The Last of Us. Oh, <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> oh, I, I I don't understand why this was a tentpole title for so long. Mm. Like visually, it's been outpaced. Narratively, it's been outpaced. Mechanically, it's been outpaced. As as a cornerstone, maybe in the Alone in the Dark way compared to Resident Evil. Yeah. Oh. Oh man! Right, okay, we have to move on because I'm just, <laughs> I'm just complaining. You know, one out of ten. <laughs> James, any advance on one? What's your final thoughts? Yeah, I'm gonna be, uh, gonna, it's gonna be very short. James likes sad. Okay, 
I I like sad things because I like sad when it makes you feel human. Mm. And there's an element of hope there. But heavy rain has no humanity and there is no hope. Yeah. That is That's fair. It's so funny that we covered this um after Silent Hill 2 as a bonus episode because they are they are both kind of like that but one's a really good game uh jordan i think it falls to you to to defend it perhaps Uh, what's your final summary of heavy rain uh i mean if i was to put it in a line i would say that i don't necessarily like it but i respect it Mm -hmm. um i mean coming back to it all these years later i mean 11 years now um and to 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 come back it, it does feel like a bit of an autopsy i don't necessarily feel like i'm sitting down and trying to fully experience this game as it was entirely intended because I'm just so fascinated by not only the hype and the build up to when this game released but also um, you know the subsequent details of the production that end up trickling out and giving some insight into what exactly it was like to make this game at the time that it was made you know this sort of late 2000s idea of uh, you know interactive drama and whether or not it was achievable with the technology that they had there's lots of ways that it falls short um and there's lots of ways where it has aged uh, you know quite poorly on a, on, a, on a technical point um I, I i would probably say that yeah it, it is it is a similar analog to uh, the likes of uh, alone in the dark um i'd even I, I i'd even risk saying that it kind of is a little bit in the same way that people view uh, GoldenEye 64 these days. And a lot of people see that as very antiquated. And, you know, if you did not grow up with it, it's very hard to go back and mm. try and understand the appeal of that game. But ultimately, it ended up um, creating a surge of inspiration within the industry that led to um, arguably far better products. And it was a good thing for the industry that it came about. So even though I don't necessarily say I wouldn't necessarily say that I enjoyed every aspect of this game, I do feel like the need to sort of almost defend its, its existence for um, the vision that it had, even if the execution wasn't necessarily there, and what it then inspired, uh, not only in the studio uh, that built it, um, but subsequent studios that took a lot of the inspiration from it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it is funny to be playing it 11 years later. Like Autopsy is such a great word for it. Um, because as you and Sherwin have pointed out, we can already see evidence of the wider impact it had, the bigger, the more arguably successful games, um, or at least more enjoyable games. Um, so so yeah, it's, it's a weird one. It's so funny because when we do these we generally don't tend to interact what our opinions are going to be before we came on the show and yet i had a very strong feeling that this was going to be quite a negative episode but i'm glad you know we can at least say things like that about how it's important and some of us do feel like you know it was worth playing and experiencing that moment in time um but (laughs) most certainly uh one of our most negative episodes 
Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash facebraypod. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube and more at facebraypod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review where you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore 123. Steve is at FB Steve was taken. Jordan is at Box 64 Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. And James is at Moist Owl at OFF. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. At one point, it was Microsoft may have been involved, but they wanted the story changed, and then they, then Sony basically went, "Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll do it instead or something." Microsoft didn't like the kidnapping angle, and I guess Sony did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. You you're kind of jumping to conclusions that maybe they just didn't care. Not they liked it. <laughs> it's it's a, a yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just I'm just imagine that meeting. It, like, so yeah. there's a kidnapping sold. <laughs> You've got. <Yeah>. It. <laughs> Quantic Dream Dream walk in, they say, now look, we can scrap that. And Sony's like, well, well, actually, we'd we'd kind of put money aside to guarantee that that would stay in. That's a big big part of our marketing plan, Dan. (laughs) That is a corner of the market that has not been found yet. So, you know, you're not finding that on Nintendo. There's a reason for that. You're not finding that on Nintendo. (laughs) Amazing line.